0: We, uh, we come to a topic this morning that is pervasive in Proverbs, and I'm skipping the kids' um, little uh, our time with the kids this morning, because, uh, partially because of content, but partially also because of the, uh, uh, the emphasis we want to give on this, on this specific topic and not sway from it at all. So it's the topic of sexuality. And as we're all aware, it's a topic that the world around us has no hesitancy in talking about. Um, Not only is the world not hesitant to talk about it, but it gladly puts it on display, and it teaches about it incessantly uh, in a myriad of ways and engages with all the human senses. Um, Sexuality. I want to be especially mindful of how I say things this morning in light of the reality that we do have a number of children in the room, but we must spend time talking about this specific uh, content because Solomon does uh, repeatedly with his son. The reality is that in this room uh, or watching live stream this morning, uh, we know very well the topic at hand. We, we understand. We, we've dealt with sexual sin in some way in our lives. We've seen marriages broken over sexual sin. We've witnessed people losing their trust in another human being because they have been sinned against sexually. We've seen church leaders falling prey to sexual sin. We've witnessed the acceptance of fornication and homosexuality and premarital sex and all sorts of things in our culture, whether it's in the arts or academia, in the workplace, in the home. We see it all over the place. My hope this morning is that we would listen to God's Word and hear what the Spirit's saying to the church this morning, saying to us, that we would understand that there will be much more than just simple information going in our heads, uh, but healing taking place. Uh, Confession taking place. Forgiveness taking place. Deliverance taking place and a commitment and excitement to live in the delight and freedom of godly wisdom as it relates to our sexuality. And, and we'll try to do so by working to answer three questions and, and kind of moving between the chapters. So just have your finger in Proverbs 5, 6 and 7. We'll, we'll kind of go outside of those sometimes, but generally stay within. So the first question I wanna ask this morning is this. Where does true sexual freedom come from? Where does true sexual freedom come from? Societies and cultures through the millennia have always strived after some element of sexual freedom, whether it's in ancient times or Roman times, medieval times, um, you know, the 60s the 70s, the 80s, and 90s, the aughts, the 10s, the wherever we are today, 23, we are looking, hungering for, our society is hungering for, longing for, and pursuing sexual freedom. All sorts of ways to be free with the way that they think what they want, what we want sexually. And if you read history at all or had an eye on the newsreels, one person's freedom One person's sexual freedom quickly turns into another person's sexual bondage. Most certainly there is sexual freedom that can be realized in our lives. The question is whether or not there's a standard to go by to experience that sexual freedom or not. And assuming so, who is it that gets to set the standard and what does that person who sets the standard say? Everyone has a standard that they live by regarding human sexuality. Every single person in this room, every single person listening, every single person you will ever come in contact with, they have some sort of standard that they come to when they think about human sexuality. What is it that makes sex good and profitable and satisfying and delightful and absolutely freeing? So the question is, what's your standard? Who has the authority and the right to make the definitions that make up that standard. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you you believe that God is your creator and and your sustainer, right? If you are a follower of Jesus, you you have a perspective that God is your creator, that you are accountable to him in every way. And so as such, he has the sole right and the ability to define for you what is good and true and beautiful about all things, including our sexuality. And so we look to God's word to teach us about what it is that is good and true and beautiful about human sexuality. He alone, God alone, as our creator and Lord for the one for whom we live, the one for whom we exist and have our very being and breathe our breaths even right now He's the one who defines the design for human sexuality. Now, we might have lots of thoughts meandering around our heads and our hearts, but God is the one who defines the design for human sexuality. Anything that strays from that pattern that God created and teaches simply goes against His plan that is meant for us to enjoy and delight in and have freedom in and to have real life in, vibrant life. Now this could go any number of directions right now regarding all sorts of things that are facing us in our society, things like the issue that we're voting on on Tuesday, or if you haven't already voted, or the one that's gonna be coming in November concerning, you know, concerning, it's not concerning specifically sexual activity in its core, but like it's got its, got its fingers there and with gender stuff. What is it that God says? What is it that we are to do about it? How is it that we're to vote and that kind of thing? But that's not where we're going this morning. What what we're trying to get at this morning is how can we enjoy sexual freedom? (laughs) God's design for sex was established in the very beginning. And he established it this way one man, one woman, becoming one flesh for one lifetime. It's not, it's not complicated, it's, it's simply stated in the first chapters of, of the book, and then it it's stated in various sections throughout the book as well. Quoting from the first book of the Old Testament, Jesus stated in Mark chapter 10, So this is, this is the Jesus we follow, this is the, the Jesus who, who um, who saved us and who who is our Lord and our King, he says, but from the very beginning, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Now, he's speaking specifically about marriage there, right? In that picture are one man and one woman, not two men, not two women, not some other conception as our culture would like to dictate. God's beautiful design his glorious design from the very foundation of the world is one male and one female, two genders that he created in his image equal in value but purposefully different from one another to display the greatness of God's glory that we might experience great, gr- greatness and in in joy in him and, and greatness in his glory as we interact in different ways as male and female, specifically in a marriage relationship. It says, he continued, Jesus continued in chapter 10 of Mark, he says, they shall become one flesh, so there are no longer two, but they are one flesh. This is God's design. The one man and one woman will become so amazingly connected to one another that they are meant to know each other in every way possible, physically, spiritually, emotionally, willfully, and ideally, when one person experiences the other, what one person experiences, the other person will experience as if it were happening to them. There's, a, there's a, almost a, a growing symbiotic relationship that happens in a marriage. There's one flesh, two people joined in one flesh. God's design is that. Joys in life shared together. Sorrows are shared together. Everything is shared together. And so, God's design is that the bond that a husband and wife have is as close as humans can experience in two becoming one flesh, because it includes this sexual experience as well that is deeply relational, emotional, and intimate. Well, the bond is made decisively at the wedding, it's to continue to progress throughout the marriage, and it's meant to be awesome that though, though we, though we know and are aware and some have experienced so much that has tainted that wonderful design. Something meant to be a great gift is turned on its head and creates trauma and destruction. As part of that gift of marriage between one man and one woman for one lifetime is the design and gift of sex to be enjoyed that would lead to great satisfaction, great delight. Certainly, procreation might very well be a part of that as well, but it's not the primary thing for it doesn't happen for everybody. But the enjoyment of one another. Amid everything we're gonna go to in a few moments, here's what Solomon tells his son. He says this in chapter five, verses 15 through 19. He says, son, drink drink water, speaking of relationship with his wife, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? You think about streams of water in the streets for a moment and, and you just think of the, all the muck that is collected in the streets as compared to living water. Should, you, should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your, your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in love, in her love. Now, Solomon uses some clear metaphors to encourage his son towards a kind of wonderful, intimate relationship with his wife and his wife alone that sounds you know, sounds, frankly, if you read that properly and you read Song of Solomon as well, it's, it's rather enjoyable. Blessing and satisfaction and delight and, you know, intoxication. This is the kind of clarity we see in what God designed as so very good and for our delight and for His glory. Ultimately, God's design is for a man and woman to enjoy and delight and be satisfied with kind, generous, loving, and absolutely monogamous sexual activity inside the confines of covenant marriage. This is the design of God in His Word that is meant for us to experience deep satisfaction, deep delight, very real freedom, sexual freedom as it relates to all of our sexual activity. True sexual freedom does not come from the world. True sexual freedom does not come from Hollywood. True sexual freedom does not come from within the flesh. True sexual freedom comes from God Himself. The, the, the Word of God is profitable, as Paul would say in the second letter to Timothy, it's profitable and helpful in this way specifically concerning sexual activity and integrity and wisdom. And one of the things that's alluded to in our long text today is that the teaching on God's plan and design is something that's clearly to be, to be something that's taught in families, and not left for the systems and structures of a godless society who doesn't fear God to teach. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm not even talking about school systems. I'm talking about Netflix and, and Amazon Prime and, and Disney and whoever. There's all, it's all teaching, 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 and it's not to be left to them. Consider three specific places in, in our text where the father speaks to his son about this topic. And just, just catch, this is, this, is, this is Solomon speaking to his son. Proverbs 5, 1 and 2. My, my son, oh be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. Or chapter 6, verses 20 and 21. My son, keep your father's commandments and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. Or, or Proverbs 7, verses 1 through 3, my son, keep my words and treasure of my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. This, this, is, a, this is a an appeal from a father to a son. It's, it's not a it's not simply an appeal where he takes his son on a, on a weekend retreat and has to talk with him. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's that as they're parenting, as they're walking and talking, Deuteronomy 6, as along your way you're teaching and talking, and it is the most normal thing ever and not some awkward situation. This is, this is the reality that goes straight to God's Word and doesn't simply point out all the dangers although all the dangers are plentiful, and there's plenty here to to consider just in these passages, in in these few chapters, but if we go into the Old Testament or, or the New Testament, there's just danger galore as it comes to sexual sin. But specifically, it speaks most clearly of the gift of God's design for humanity, as we just spoke of, and does so on more than just one occasion. Uh, Part of a, a life of teaching again. Where does true sexual freedom come from? Sexual freedom and joy and satisfaction comes from the Lord. It is not separate from the Lord. It comes from the Lord. You want to know how to live in sexual freedom and sexual joy and satisfaction in every way? Don't go anywhere else but to what the Lord has to offer here regarding sexual activity. Designed to be between one man, one woman, who joined in the covenant of biblical marriage for one lifetime for the glory of God and their joy. And, and just to be clear, this, this is absolute repetition, but to be clear, let me say it one more time. No matter how foreign it is in our world, we believe that the Bible teaches that sexual activity, all, all, all sexual activity is only to be enjoyed in the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman. This, this is God's wisdom. This is life. This is freedom. It's for our good, for our safety, for our satisfaction, for our joy, and for our real freedom, vibrant freedom. So, what is it that keeps us, second question, what is it that keeps us from that sexual freedom? Well, some would say that what I've already stated this morning and will state in a little bit is, is that actually there would push back on this and say, well, actually, God is the one who keeps you from sexual freedom. His rules are what keeps you from sexual freedom. Free yourself from this and you will be free. Certainly, following the word of God regarding anything, sexuality just being one of many, will keep us from being free to do whatever our hearts would want to run after. But freedom isn't defined by doing whatever our hearts, our minds, or feelings want us to do. Freedom is found in a life of safety Freedom is found in a life of no shame, no regret, no hurt, nor nor threat. Freedom is enjoyed in a life of self-sacrifice and servanthood. Freedom is found even in a life of self-sacrifice and servanthood, even in one's sexuality. Freedom is found in keeping God's commandments. Freedom is found in in keeping God's uh, commandments so understanding that there is true life and joy to be found in treasuring up those commands. The things that have been telling the kids on on Sunday mornings over the last number of weeks, all have to do with this treasure, finding this treasure. And inside that treasure, for you and I this morning, and ultimately for them in the years to come, is the freedom that is found in God's commandments in His word concerning very real, vibrant sexual freedom. Keeping God's words following them, growing in godly wisdom, knowing God and understanding the fear of the Lord, rather than striving to find meaning and contentment and satisfaction and love and life in sex, in whatever form that there is, even if it's contained in the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman. If your hope is in Sex, if you're looking for satisfaction in your soul for sex inside of marriage or outside of marriage, that satisfaction is tenuous. When we stray from God's design, we distort the wonder and beauty and joy of sex and all its delight, and it turns into destruction and utter bondage. Consider Proverbs chapter 5, verse 3. He says, for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she doesn't know it. Sex, according to God's design, is designed to be satisfying, delightful, and, and, and freeing. And anything that, that deviates from that design is a distortion. The problem with distortions, of course, is that there are a number of ways that it feels like it's a more than adequate substitute for God's design. It's, it's close, not quite God's design, but it's close. And What we'll see is that the so-called adequate substitute only afford, it only offers false promises and pain and, and destruction. You hear what the Father says to the Son in chapter 7, verses 13 and 15 through 21. So he's going after this, 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 in this case, this woman, right? He's speaking to a son, very well speak to a daughter and talk about the man at the door. So this son is walking up, or this guy, this, this, this young man or whatever is walking up and pursuing some sort of sexual excitement with this strange woman. And it says she seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face, she says to him, I've spread my couch with coverings. Colored linens from Egyptian linen. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband, he's not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. Full moon, he'll come home. And with much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. The reality is sexual sin is persuasive and and oh so seductive because it offers immediacy. You can have it now. It appeals to the senses. It will look, and it'll taste, and smell, and feel good. It's, it's love without commitment. Uh, well, it's not quite love with uh, not real love, but it is kind of couched in love kind of context without commitment or strings attached, and so it puts you in control. It's attractive, and, and it's easy, and it goes directly for your heart, right to the desires. I want, and I will get, and I will feel good about it. It's, it's it's Ashley Madison, it's, it's pornography on your phone, it's the flirtation at work or at the restaurant or on the road trip, road trip, it's the long look that's filled with longing or desire of someone who isn't your spouse in a one woman, one man for one lifetime covenant. And in our 30 years of pastoral ministry and in my own experience, sexual temptation is very, very powerful for both men and women. There's almost nothing like it, the draw, the intensity. And the reality is sexual sin is your enemy because for sexual sin, you are the one that is being preyed upon. You're the prey in sexual sin. Proverbs 7, verses 6 through 9 says, For at the window of my house I've looked out through my lattice, and I've seen among the simple, I've perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense passing along the street near this strange woman's corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight in the evening at the time of night and darkness. And just a few verses later, in verses 22 through 23, this this young man with no sense has, has been enticed, and it says, all at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him His life. Now we read through Proverbs 5 through 7, we read of so many consequences. To following the forbidden woman or the forbidden man for that matter. L- losing your honor, losing your reputation, losing time, money, property, safety, living with regret, broken relationships, broken families, and, and the list goes on and on and on. And Solomon says that sex according to God's design is right and, and it's good and it's satisfying and it's freeing, but he spends considerable time considering and communicating the extent of damage in the wake of distorted sex, that is, sex that is not according to God's God's design in one man, one woman, in one marriage for one lifetime. Distorted sex produces physical and emotional, financial, relational, spiritual destruction that will in the end, if not repented of, if no change occurs, it will eventually end in everything that is death. Proverbs 7, 21 through 23. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. Again, with with her smooth talk, she compels him, and all at once he follows her. Remember that passage that we read? As an ox to the slaughter. That's the reality of what's going on. The fool thinks, well, none of this really will happen to me. I, I can disregard this so called wisdom and just do what I want, I won't get caught. Well being caught is is not the worst thing in the whole world um, that 's not going to happen to me it 's not going to destroy my marriage it 's not going to destroy this it 's not going to destroy that it 's not going to ruin my soul it's not going to strip me of sexual of, of spiritual life. maybe it's well i 'm just going to give in this time and, and then i 'll repent and change later. or maybe you think to yourself that You know, because you're not really, you know, having sexual intercourse, it's not really sex. All of those twisted lie from from Satan himself. That's why Solomon says in chapter six, verse 27 and following, can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or, Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife None who touches her will go unpunished. Now, I read this quote last week somewhere. I don't, a, I don't have a name to be able to cite it to, but it's, it's not my quote, so somebody else's. But, but I thought it was good. He said, he said this, or she, whoever. Sex is like fire. In the fireplace, it keeps us warm. Outside the fireplace, it burns the house down. And if you play with fire, you will get burned. Now think about the short list of distortions to God's good design for sex between one man and one woman for one lifetime in the covenant of marriage. Lust, adultery, extramarital sex, premarital sex, pornography, strip clubs, prostitution, human trafficking, rape, sexual abuse, incest bestiality, polygamy, polyamory, masturbation, orgies, swinging, homosexual and lesbian sex, and the list could go on and on and on. Far from some sort of ancient system of rules that doesn't understand modern humanity, all of these, among a number of other distortions, deviate from God's design for human sexuality. God is the one who is the designer, remember, of human sexuality. He gets to decide what is good and true and beautiful and satisfying, freeing, because as our creator and designer, he designed it, and he knows what we need to have a life that is thriving. Boundaries that the world sees as things that keep a person from freedom are actually the gifts of God to keep us from having our house burned down on account of distorted sexuality, but actually warming the home and giving us the satisfying freedom that we truly long for. Leads us to the third question, how is it we can enjoy the sexual freedom God promises? Solomon tells his son in no uncertain terms to make wisdom his first love. We've seen in weeks prior, seek first the kingdom of God kind of language. That's this same kind of language. Make wisdom your first love. Listen to these passages as the father pleads with the son repeatedly. He says this back in Proverbs 4. He says, get wisdom. Son, get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget. Don't turn away from the words of my mouth. Don't forsake her. She will keep you and love and love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. In Proverbs 7, verses four and five, he says this, say to wisdom, say to wisdom, oh, you're my sister, and call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. And, and where is it that you get that wisdom? Where is it you get wisdom according to all we've been considering these last number of weeks? Is it not? Is it not wisdom from God? It's given from God, and primarily it's given from God through His book, through His Word, through the wisdom that is here, where we come to see that God and his word are true joy. They really are garlands for the neck. They really are more precious than silver, not just poetically, they truly are more precious than silver and on and on. It's through the word of God, by the power of the Spirit, that we come to know God, that we come to know why we exist and have our being, that we come to find the one who gives us all the satisfaction we need to truly grow and live our days before our gracious God with fear, and with wondering and and joy that he loves us and he's bestowed his love on us and given us the perfect sacrifice of Christ. Knowing that it's for him again we exist and where true contentment is found. For God's word, lady, wisdom is one who will guard and protect us. If If you're, at whatever place you are, in your battle against sexual sin this morning. Lady Wisdom, you're looking for for help, right? You're looking for help. Lady Wisdom, God's word, will guard you and will protect you. Pursue wisdom, Solomon says, she will keep you and guard you. She will deliver you from sexual immorality. It's Lady Wisdom, the word of God who helps us see the true nature of the temptation, points us to the escape route. Remember, no temptation is taken you but that which is common to man. But God who is faithful will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. And one thing I said earlier was sexual sin is so strong it like grabs your heart, it's so strong. Otherwise, pornography would not be as big of a deal as it is today or any of the struggles we have in our society. It's so very strong and it's hard. It's why covenant eyes is all over the place. It's why, that's why men and women are looking for help in every corner, it's because it's so powerful. The word of God promises, God himself promises, There is a way out. Lady Wisdom will guard you. God's Word, taken into the heart, dwelt richly upon, will guard you, protect you. Lady Wisdom will show you why sexual morality is wrong and destructive outside of or inside a marriage. Lady Wisdom will give us a good shake to get out of our stupor and remind us of the deadly consequences of sexual sin, whether we're married or not. She'll remind you that sexual sin will affect you physically. She'll remind you that it will ruin you financially. She'll remind you that your reputation will be destroyed. She will remind you that your, uh, your family will be broken apart and it will be found out, not to mention it is um, a, a fast road to death. Lady Wisdom will guard us and protect us from walking down a road that leads to death. Lady Wisdom also trains us for the battle we're in, and it is a battle. Lady Wisdom trains us to teach our hearts. Proverbs 6, 23-24 says, my son, keep your father's commandments and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always, tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life to preserve you from the evil woman from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. And and, and please don't get caught up on the fact that the adulteress in this case is a woman. It's not always a woman, right? It's, It's the fact is it's sexual sin. Whoever, however, that's the point. God's Word will be your light. God's Word will give you all you need to enjoy what He has planned for you and to be free. And certainly there are other helps that are available to us. They, they help us fight the battle over sexual sin. Um, there are tools that are out there, right? But, but one pastor rightly states this. And if those of you who, who have... Yeah, I've had plenty of conversations over the years of pastoral ministry that, that I totally, totally go in line with what Eric Raymond says. He says this. You can throw your computer out the window, but that will not kill your lust. You can never go to the mall, but that's not going to kill your lust. You can cut out your eyes, but that won't kill your lust. You can move to a cave in Montana, but that won't kill your lust. You can employ legalism, but that won't kill your lust. All these things, and I'll add to this, you can get married. and it won't kill your lust. All of these things fall short because they're external amputations when we need a heart transformation. This is why, again, marriage doesn't solve the issue. Sex in marriage is a wonderful gift from God, but it can be distorted just as much as anything else. And even when sex in marriage is beautiful and honoring to God, it's not that which is meant to truly satisfy the longings of our hearts. Sex in marriage is a gift, but it is not a cure for anything. Men and women just really need, we need heart transformation, and that only comes by the Word and the Spirit of God. This is precisely what Solomon tells his son. He says, take the truth of God's Word, son, and bind them to your heart bind them to your heart, this teaching and truth will become a light and lamp to your way, and it will lead you to not simply a more disciplined life, as though discipline solved much of anything, but a life where you are brought face to face with a greater joy, a greater beauty, a greater satisfaction and contentment in God, that God is so glorious and so beautiful that pornography, not near as much of a temptation as it was, By the power of the Spirit and the Word of God, our hearts are transformed and our desires changed for the glory of God. Just just a couple of weeks ago when we started into this reading through Psalm 119, in verse nine, uh, it's a a verse that is just a, a wonderful promise. How can a young man keep his way pure? Say it with me. By guarding it according to your word. It's just not complicated. How can a young man keep his way pure? Well, by guarding it according to your word. We have to teach our hearts what is good and true and and lovely. Namely, we have to be given eyes to see, again, that God is gloriously greater than that which is tempting us so viciously so the desires are trained to love the right things. The right one who alone can satisfy. And, And we do so by being trained by the word of God. This is pursuing the wisdom of God as we've considered now for numerous weeks. Every culture has its bent towards thinking um, that if someone feels something, it must be right, uh, or it must be natural. And certainly, if what you're feeling stands in alignment with God's true design, then, then certainly it is right. But if it's out of alignment with God's design, the problem isn't that the Word of God is somehow outdated or no longer relevant because our culture is so enlightened, it means that your feelings and your, your, your thoughts are misguided and, and your, your lives are endangered. And so right there, we need to have our minds and our hearts renewed and realigned by the word of God and by the spirit through prayer. Well, Lady Wisdom, as God's word, also trains us to watch our steps. Proverbs 5, 7, and 8 says, Now, O sons, listen to me, speaking more now to more sons, Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Watch your steps. We know, don't we, when we're starting to stray? We know it's wrong and instead of putting that sinful desire to to death, we cultivate it instead of killing it. And before we know it, uh, we're the sheep walking to the slaughterhouse. When When it comes to sin, we have the power in Christ to put sin to death we have the Holy Spirit guiding us directing us leading us keeping us and, and sadly all of us at one time or another coddle our sin we we sit on it sit um, sit on it um, kind of and 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 kind of place it on the table before us to look at and and wonder at and we argue with ourselves whether or not it's going to be okay if I do that and God's still gonna forgive me? And yeah, he'll still forgive me, so I'm gonna go ahead and do that and somehow think it's not gonna have an effect on you, but when it's full grown, it'll eat you alive. Lady Wisdom trains us to watch our steps and guard our ways by the power of the Spirit and the Word of God. Finally, Lady Wisdom trains us to remember our Redeemer. Proverbs 5, 21 through 23 says, For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths, the iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he's led astray. You know, when it comes to sexual sin, every single one of us can be tempted. This is not a, a man's thing. This is, this is not just a woman's thing. This is not just a young man's or a young woman's thing. This is, a, this is an all of us thing. None of us have a clean track record. We're all sexual sinners. And Proverbs tells us that our ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he does not miss a single step. Our iniquities and sin set a trap and unless someone sets us free, Solomon tells us along with the rest of the word of God, it says that we will die. But the good news, right? But the good news is that there is hope. There is grace for broken, repentant sexual sinners in Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only one who who can redeem the life that sexual sin intends to destroy. He provides the freedom and the life that we long for. Paul Paul writes to the Corinthian church this way, who were very sexually active and broadly grotesque in some of the things that they were doing. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So that's, a, that's a truth statement. And here's another truth statement. And such were some of you. And here's another true statement for those of you who have trusted in Christ. But you were washed, you were sanctified, set apart, made holy, you were justified. That means you were declared righteous before Holy God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now how is that possible? Well, on the cross, Jesus took on the bondage of our sexual sin. He was crucified not for his wickedness, he was crucified for ours. Jesus did not die for his foolishness, sexual foolishness. he, he died because of our sexual foolishness. No matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, no matter the path you've traveled, there is hope. There is forgiveness and freedom and healing and deliverance to be known and experienced in Christ. As a friend, if if today you're currently playing with the fire of sexual sin, I pray that you hear what the Spirit is saying to us this morning. Wisdom tells us, God's word tells us, confess it to God. Just agree, yes, I have sinned against you. Wisdom tells us to confess our sins to one another. So confide about your sin with a trusted person of your failings. Pray for one another that, that you would be healed, that you would be saved. And wisdom tells us to turn from our sexual sin, or turn from our sin, period, sexual or otherwise, and turn to Christ by faith and know the joy of satisfaction and freedom that He offers. Now, a man named Philip Keller, who wrote a book called A, Shepherd Look, a Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23, says this. This is a fairly long quote here. Amid all this chaos of a confused, sick society. This was written in 19, before 1970 sometime. Amid all this chaos of a confused, sick society, Christ comes quietly as of old and invites us to come to Him. He invites us, you and me, to follow Him. He invites us to put our confidence in Him, for He it is who best knows how we can be satisfied. He knows the human heart. He knows the human personality. He knows the human soul with its amazing capacity, for God can never be satisfied with a substitute. Only the spirits and life of Christ Himself will satisfy the thirsting soul. Now, people often try this pursuit or that with the casual comment, well, so what? Now, I can't see that's doing anybody any harm. A little do they appreciate that often there is a delayed reaction, and that considerable time may elapse before the full impact of their misjudgment strikes home, and then suddenly they're in deep trouble and they wonder why. To offset these dangers and guard them and guard against them, God invites us to allow ourselves to be led and guided by His own gracious spirit. Jesus' own teaching to his 12 disciples just before his death, given to us in John 14 through17 points out that the gracious Holy Spirit was to be given to lead us into truth. Wisdom, God's word. He'd come as a guide and counselor. Always he would lead us into the things of Christ, who is truth. He would make us see that the life, of, life in Christ was the only truly satisfying life. We, could, we would discover the delight of having our souls satisfied with his presence. You, you would be he who would become to us very meat and drink. He would be He who would become to us very meat and drink, that as His resurrection, overcoming life was imparted to me by His Spirit each day, I would be refreshed and satisfied. Now, the path forward may be difficult as you put sin to death and as you live for Christ, but we have a Savior who will forgive us of our sins if we confess and repent of them. And in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit who will continue to conform us to the image of Jesus as we yield to Him increasingly, who opens our eyes to see the beauty of our God in His Word as we open it and meditate on it and allow it to richly dwell within us. And we have the sweetness of communion in relationship with Him that we might fight the worldly affections of lust with the godly wisdom of a greater affection for God, drinking deeply from the well of God rather than the broken cisterns of this world. This morning as I was reading from Psalm 119 again, verses 153 through 160, um, I thought it might inform our prayers. Uh, to this end specifically, it's, it's much broader than just concerning wisdom, concerning sexual sin, but, but thinking about what we've been talking about, consider what the psalmist says and your struggle against sexual sin, or the struggle of that somebody that you know who's really dealing with it. Look on my affliction, he says to God, and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Lady Wisdom, many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. You hear the, the constant refrain, in just in that short little passage, it, there's always, through Psalm 119, always a love for God's word, right? There's always that bringing up, bring, it's being brought up, being brought up, being brought up, God's word, God's word, I follow God's word, I. Yield to God's word, I want to follow God's word, I believe God's word, I trust in your word, I rejoice in your word, all those kind of things. And he is crying out for deliverance. Look on my affliction, deliver me, and give me life. And I, I would I would just say that everybody that is walking in some level of sexual sin in their life is looking for life. They're looking for life, they're looking for satisfaction. They're looking for joy. They're looking for contentment. They're looking for, looking for something that's missing. And the thing that's missing, the Lady Wisdom points us to, is freedom in, in God. Satisfaction in God. So in marriage, outside of marriage, your hope is not in your wife. Your hope is not in your husband. Your hope as husband, as wife, as single person, as young child, as an old man, our hope is strictly on the one who gives us all satisfaction, all hope, all joy, all contentment and real life. So may the Lord give us that life, to have a heart whose desires for the things of God, the ways and designs of God which lead to what we're deeply longing for, namely this, the wisdom, of God. The wisdom of godly sexuality that provides deeply satisfying and delightful freedom is found in the all-satisfying gift of God himself. And, and friends, the, this book, can, can, we, can we just agree here that as we've read through Psalm 119, most of it, and as we consider lady wisdom, can we not see the gift that this book is to us? In this book, is life because it points us to the one who is life himself. He gives his eyes to see that we might understand. He gives us, he inclines our hearts to his word that we might see and cling and have the greatest joy ever and contentment, so that we're not simply looking for other things to satisfy the deep needs in our soul. That's already been met in Christ. And so everything else is, is just gift, joy you wanna learn how to fight sexual sin, you know Covenant Eyes is gonna be helpful, but it's not gonna kill it. It's, it's gonna be keeping your face in this book, meditating on this book, memorizing this book, getting to know the God of this book, inundating yourself with the truths from this book, and by the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, um, we will be transformed by the renewing of our minds to to know what is pleasing to God and and to actually have a life that is is one of worship to Him in everything we do and say and think. May, May the Lord give each of us freedom as it concerns our sexuality. And may we be a people who are so satisfied in him that we might have something to offer a world that is looking for something else, but where the only hope is in Christ alone.